0: Welcome to another episode of Relentlessly Resilient, where real people share real-life experiences and the
1: tools they've developed to move forward and live their best life. I'm Michelle Scharf. And I'm Jenny Taylor. And today we have with us Army Major Wes Porter. Wes, how are you doing this morning?
2: I'm really good, thanks. Hey, thanks for having me on today.
1: Oh, we're excited to have you here. So I, I only know a few things about you, but I'm excited to learn more. We know you're in the Utah National Guard as an Army major. You're the operations officer for the Triple Deuce down in Cedar City. We know you also work in government operations for the state of Utah. But we're about to find out that even though your military assignment's down in Cedar City, you live in a different part of the state. So I'm wondering if you can introduce yourself to us a little bit and kind of tell us who you are.
2: Well, sounds good. Yeah, so I I live out here in Bernal, Utah, out here in Dinosaur Land in the U.N.A. Basin. A little bit about me, I'm originally from San Diego, California, but my grandfather moved me here when I was very young, about I think, five or six, so a long time ago. And the intent behind that was to really start a new life in a place where he felt I had the best opportunity to grow and to learn to be a good person. And for some reason, and, and my grandpa passed away years ago, about 20 years ago, but nobody in my family asked grandpa, why Bernal, Utah? Zero family. So it won't no do me connection. any
1: good to ask. Because <laughs> there's no that's answer. <laughs>
2: right. I've got nothing. I've got nothing for you. Um, I asked my mom and my aunt. I asked my grandma, and they all really don't know why. But he spent his, his savings on this little uh, single wide trailer out in a rural part of Vernal. So there's actually rural parts of rural Utah. The rural I'm version down. of rural. That's right. Uh, next to the Green River out there, and uh, that's that's where we came. That's okay. So tell right.
1: me, you say we went to Vernal. Was it just you and Grandpa, or were your mom yes. and the aunts and everybody else involved? Yes.
2: Me and grandpa. So, you know, he, he brought me out there. And I think a few years later, um, my mother decided to, to come out with some of my brothers and some, some of my siblings, and then my aunt. And uh, eventually, even his son moved out to rural Utah. So he had three kids. All of his kids followed him. And most of them are still here in Vernal today without any idea of how we got here.
1: Okay, that is hilarious because Vernal, Utah, unless you know about it, really is not exactly on everyone's tourist destination yeah. list. Yeah
2: accidentally comes to vernal for right? sure you, you have to be deliberate about
1: it all right so Wes, tell us a little bit i know you're in the guard i know you work for the state tell us about what your family makeup looks like now you say you still live in vernal
2: still live in vernal yeah so you know vernal is one of those places that always brings you back and so uh i got married i went you know grew up went on a mission met my wife here in vernal we got married We started a family together moved down to cedar city uh to go to college And I joined the military down there. Anyway, through all of those different things, such as deployments, good education, ended up back here in Vernal with me and my my beautiful wife, Emily, and our six kids here in Vernal. Okay, that's a
1: lot of kids. How old are the kids?
2: So I have a big range from 17 to 4. Okay. And so, yeah.
1: That's that's about the range of my kids. I've got 17 to 5.
2: Yeah, yeah, we're right there. All right.
1: So tell us, Wes, it sounds like you've got I mean, you've got an upbringing where your grandpa's taking you completely off the grid for for a yeah. new start at life. You've joined the National Guard. You're married with six kids. You've been deployed. You've done a lot of things. I imagine you've had some pretty good experience with resilience. So we would love for you to tell us what resilience looks like to you.
2: You know, for, for me, and I, I put a lot of thought into this, uh, and something I've learned really just recently is I would say my overall uh, definition it probably isn't that much different than, than most people's right it's keep moving absorbing hits but what i've learned for me the technique is learning when to take a knee. what i mean by that is you know going back to my grandfather he taught me that when you do something you just you dive in and you do all of it and you work through it and as i've gone through my life with that the reason why i went to school is i needed i need to go to school that was it uh it wasn't this huge passion just something you had to do so you do it so you dive in and you figure it out I always wanted to serve, so I didn't know much about the military, but I dived in and we figured it out. What I've learned by doing that, I think a lot of people are like that, is that it takes an emotional and physical toll. And it wasn't until probably my my late 30s where I realized, you've got to take a knee, Wes. you got to take care of yourself. And what's interesting is that seems like it's not being resilient when you take a little bit of a break. But what I found is when I've done that, I've taken care of myself, whether it's mental health, whether it's physical whether it's taking a time out with the family, I'm able to actually absorb more of those hits that life throws at me. And by taking care of myself and by taking care of my loved ones, and if that means taking a quick pause in whatever you're doing, that's really been able to get me and my wife and our family over some of the obstacles that we faced, whether it was deployment, whether it's her having babies without me even in the country. That's what's allowed us to get over it and and really progress in a way where we're very, I would say we're, we're more resilient now than we were before.
1: Okay, I really love that, and I love that you pointed out that it might almost sound contradictory to say being resilient is taking a knee, because sometimes I think we think being resilient is just charging forward and just taking it all and this fierce independence, and I'm just going to grin and bear it, when in reality, maybe the most resilient thing some of us can do from time to time is take a knee. I think that's beautiful. You mentioned deployments, having a bunch of kids, all these things. Can you share maybe a couple of personal experiences of difficult times or, or challenges you faced and how kind of that attitude of taking in applied and got you through that?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So my first deployment was in 2011. It was operational done. We went with the DEUCE to Iraq, and we were really in charge of kind of closing Iraq down. So this is right towards the end of everyone leaving, for the most part, at least the conventional forces. And what was interesting is, is one day, and it's, it's super hot over there, in the middle of summer. One day I just wasn't feeling very well. And I felt like someone grabbed me in the back of my neck, just really, really hurt. And within a matter of 20 minutes, I went from not feeling that well to having a massive fever and a chill at the same time. Oh, no. And I put on a coat. This isn't Iraq. I put on my coat, I put on my long johns and a beanie and gloves, and I walk over to the Troop Medical Clinic. And before I passed out, I remember the doctor, the great surgeon, go, oh, there's something wrong with this guy. And then I passed out. And then that's it. What what happened was there was this bacterial kind of viral infection uh, like Giardia in our water. And we we drank it. Oh, my goodness. And so we all got sick.
0: Oh, my goodness. The whole troop?
2: The whole group of us. And there wasn't that many of us in that time. Wow. and to include my commander, I was just a young lieutenant at the time, to include some of the soldiers I worked with. I was one of the ones that got it the worst. And I remember these flashes of trying to make it to the restroom just to be sick and then trying to make it back and seeing soldiers really just lying in the dirt. And if you could stand up, a soldier will come pick you up, pulls you off and bring you home, put you in the bunk. During this time, I was able to have decent conversations and multiple conversations with my wife. But then I'm off the grid for about 10 days. During those 10 days, my wife has our fourth child, Kalea, my little girl. And so I have no idea that's going on. For some reason, she can't get a hold of me. And you can imagine some of the different uh, things that are happening where she's like, why isn't my husband calling me? He said he would call me and he's not doing it. Well, what I found was I probably could get the muster the strength to go and talk to her. But you're really just crawling over there. You're absolutely sick what I found is I can't do anything or help emotionally my wife until I'm actually able to burden some of the burden that she may have. And I have no idea I have a baby at this time. So the week later, I finally get on a a type of Zoom call that they had back then. And she's like, where have you been? I was like, I'm so sorry. How have you been, sweetie? And she raises up this kid. I was like, okay, so you've been busy. And and what I found is- Oh my goodness. Yeah, it was just like that. So, you know, days afterwards- and I realized that I actually had the energy to absorb that and to able to take that as being a, kind of an absent follower at that time. But I took care of myself where I could. I just wasn't ready to talk to anybody physically. But when I was, we were able to have a really deep conversation and, and meet my child and, and move forward. And that's one of the stories that I always I can't I always imagine
1: remember. the terror on your wife's side going back and forth between angry that she can't get a hold of you and terrified she can't get a hold of you because you're at war. And that's right. a little bit worrisome for mama at home.
2: As I told her, you know, we have a, we have a rhythm, right? I, I call her every, every couple of days at this time we had our rhythm Yeah, and I wasn't, and got out of it. I wasn't able to go there. So she was, she was upset. Um, but that, that went over real quick because we were able to, <laughs> to have the energy to talk and, and uh-huh. to be my child. And that's really what stuck with me. If I went and tried to talk when I was super sick, I wouldn't have been able to be a help. I would have been a distraction. I wouldn't have been able to provide some of that energy that she needs. Right. As as a new mother husband, even if it is over a Zoom call. Right. And that's what stuck with me as I've gone through my career.
1: Okay, that's a great life lesson and kudos to your wife.
3: Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds.
1: How many of the kids' births were you in town for? Any of the six? Did you miss them all?
2: in town for four of them. Oh, good. All, okay. The uh, yeah, majority. I was in 2018, 19. <laughs> and uh, had my youngest. Uh, she had my youngest while I was gone. I, oh, wow. I almost made it back. I, I was able to get on emergency leave. I almost made it back, but I, I missed it by about two or three hours.
1: Oh, that's so sad. Okay, but you were there kind of in that aftermath to help take care of her yeah. and the baby. Yeah, and yeah, Oh, good
2: days. And then I headed back out. So I saw him again about nine months later and got super fat.
1: All right. So I love that personal example of resilience in your military career. You're an army major. You mentioned the deuce. I I know that to be the triple deuce, which of course is the 222nd in it's a national guard unit in Cedar city. How do you as an army officer incorporate resilience into the training you do with your men? Because I look at the militaries, you have to be resilient. And yet we hear a lot of stories where soldiers really struggle or maybe the veteran after the service is having a hard time. And you've been to war and you've missed the birth of your children and you've had difficult experiences. Talk to us a little bit about you as the military leader. What does resilience look like in your training and leadership?
2: So when we talk about resilience, uh, especially in training, one thing that really stood out to me that I learned a number of years ago, we're working with some special forces individuals, and I, I remember observing not with them, working for them. But I remember observing these two officers kind of uh, have this, this conversation. It was more of an argument. And this individual said, no, my people are going to get some sleep. Sleep is a weapon. And I, I didn't really understand it at first. But what stood out to me over the years, especially as I progressed, is that the integration of self-care into the training, into your operational planning, and into your uh, campaign planning, is really the force multiplier for a mission accomplishment. In other words, if you build into your training spots, not just your normal sleep cycle, but spots where you're able to see and help individuals during the fight, whether that is taking a knee, whether it's having a conversation, whether it's making sure they're hydrated, whether it's making sure that they they get a break to really talk about what's going on in the after-action review. Incorporation of those type of best practices is a force multiplier, and our training actually in the Utah Army National Guard starts to reflect that over the last five, six years or so, where it's integrated in what we do. So we always ask the questions, mission accomplishment, what's our left and right limits, Uh, how do we view the concept of the operation, and then we always ask this, how do we make sure that our soldiers are getting what they need to accomplish the mission, whatever that might be, and to include mental health. And as that culture shift happens inside the military, that's actually having a crossover event for those individuals that retire from the military for the veterans. And what we're trying to do is that holistic approach to start that self-care in, integrated into our training as a soldier so they're able to see that incorporate it recognize it when they get out as veterans.
0: I love this. It's, Me too. It, it's exactly what you just shared with us in your own personal story. You were at a place where you didn't have anything else to give. You needed to take care of yourself first. And if you didn't take care of yourself first, you, You didn't have anything to offer your wife. And honestly, as a wife, I think I would be more concerned with my husband in a war zone. I'd
1: I'd be terrified that you've got some bacterial infection
0: infection and that you're weak and you're so weak, you can hardly communicate. That would be really disturbing. And so sometimes we do need to take back and, and just recoil. And we don't really need to explain it to anyone. Yeah. Right. We need to put ourselves first. I love this story and I love... To hear that the military is incorporating it into their training, and I love that sleep is a weapon. It's a weapon in both ways, both right? directions. For because sure. deprivation is its own weapon. Is its own weapon to the detriment. Yeah. But good sleep sets the foundation for health, for repair, for it just is a reset, yeah. right?
1: Hey, so I'm curious, Wes, I'm, I'm with Michelle. I love hearing that this is the, the cultural change and we're having these conversations. I love that you're integrating self-care into training and planning rather than it's kind of this sidebar. I'm curious, how is it going? How is it being received?
2: So it, it is. So here's one of the challenges that we have. We go to basic training, we do all these different things, and we train on how to operate without sleep, right? One of our sayings is drink water, change your socks, and drive on hydrate, make sure your feet are good, and then you just keep going and moving. That is an absolute necessity when it comes to work. Our soldiers, you know, America's warriors, sailors, Marines, um, airmen, I think guardians is what they're called now. They all have to have that. The trick is that as you move up through the ranks to apply that tactically and strategically into the actual planning process. Uh, But it's a cultural shift. And so a lot of the times we focus, especially young officers, young planners, um, we focus on just being hard, right? You, you know, I could go umpteen times guy. without sleeping. But we have to change that moving forward. And so a lot of this too is, is really, it's it's one of the lines of effort that we have for taking care of soldiers inside the National Guard. They'll go do a, a, a training with with active duty and come over. We're trying to change that culture. But I get a bunch of brand new soldiers where they think what they've seen on TV, what they experience in basic training is how it moves forward. That's their design as a disciplinary effect to allow us to do things that are out of our comfort zone and allow us to know that we can do things. The challenge is we can't plan to do those things when we don't need to. Right. And that's some of the challenges that you've seen, you know, overseas is like, yeah, we were trained to do it so we could do it. Well, do we have to do it? I mean, yeah. I can operate. Do we have to do it just hours.
1: to prove we could be that 96 tough? 96 yeah. Is that's that right. our best practice?
2: And that's what we're trying to change. Right. Do we need to run 96 hour ops? I mean, do we have yeah. to do it?
1: Yeah, it's yeah. great to know yes. that you're capable of it should the need yeah. arise. I love that. But do we have to do that all the time just on principle? All right, Wes, we're gonna take we're gonna take a quick break and come back and continue this conversation about resilience in practice. We'll be right back. Okay, Wes, we've talked resilience in the military, and obviously we could continue talking for years. We've talked a little bit of resilience in in childbearing and and marriage and that where you've got those number of kids. Let's talk a little bit about the government work you're doing for the state of Utah, equal opportunity, making sure that those lessons you've learned on the battlefield come home into maybe some of our policies and practices as a state. Where do you see resilience in the day-to-day work you do outside of the military?
2: That, that's a really important What I've learned from the military is that self-care is important. What I've learned serving the people of Utah is that sometimes self-care isn't enough. That we need to wow. help each other move and move forward. And one of the, the great blessings that I've had is being a traditional guardsman in my career where you see both sides. And you, you realize that as you serve a community, you look for opportunities where you can serve to help that community. And a lot of that's by engaging with the different communities. And when you look at some of the great things and direction that Governor Fox has put us on uh, with his administration to include his his, uh, his roadmap that he built a few years ago and, and the Utah home, the one Utah that we have now, you're seeing the expansion of opportunity really start taking a strategic center in the direction of how we operate as a state. And inside that framework, it really comes down to where can we, as a, as a government, as a community, reach out and help our community members? Too often, we focused on, hey, we're going to do this for the community, and here's our intent, and we don't worry too much about the impact because we say, hey, you know, I'm more worried about the intent. I, this is what I meant to happen. I know it didn't really work, but I'm going to go off of these good intentions and move forward. We're seeing a shift, and that shift is we're focusing on not just intent, but we're focusing on actual impact. And having that go has been a and move forward in our strategic planning has been an absolute game changer because we're very accountable for what we do. So intent and impact is something that I've learned inside this specific well role working for Okay, growth.
1: I love that. I love I intent is important, right? We should be careful with what we intend, but the truth of the matter is what's the impact of what we're doing. And right. if all we're tracking is the intent, well our intent could lead us straight to not where we want to be, right? The road right the road of intentions. I think of my husband often, he was also an army major. And and I know he would say he definitely learned so much about resilience and leadership in the military that he then tried to bring home to his political and government service as well. But he and I would talk all the time and he would say, perception is reality. How the person you're serving perceives your intent or what the impact is, is far more important than what you wanted them to perceive. And your job is to help them perceive things in the way that matches what you're trying to do because otherwise it's your efforts are just in vain and then you're going to be exhausted as the person trying to provide service and i'm going to be frustrated as the person looking for service and so if we can't align those perceptions and perspectives and and come and meet in the middle and say hey here's what i intended and i say yeah well here's what it actually did
3: is there room
1: for the grace with each other to say hey let's do this better And I agree with you. I see great things happening, not just in our state, not just in the military, but I credit this, you know, we're in a new generation. Like it or not, the pandemic cost us an entire generation. I feel like we've had a generational shift in a couple of years versus 20. But there are some good things coming out of that. How we're viewing things, how we're getting better at talking about things like self-care without it seeming selfish. How we're talking about resilience doesn't mean stubborn independence and never asking for help. In fact... Some of my best resilience has been able to wave the white flag and say, could somebody right. else yeah. be resilient with me for a minute? Because I just don't have any of my own. Right. And that is a big that part of it. human interaction.
0: But it is a big part of resiliency, right? It's that being able to call for what it is and yeah. being able to ask for help when you need it. Yeah.
1: Well, and utilize the resources we have. Mm-hmm. Let's talk a little bit. Wes, what do you do with the state? I love the, the principles and the things you're talking about. Tell us a little bit about your job and your role, both in the intent and the impact.
2: No, no, thank you so much. So uh, the full title, it's, it's a long title. Uh, I'm not really big on titles, but it's called the, the EDI Accelerator. And what that is, is the equity, diversity, inclusion, access accelerator for the state housed in government operations specifically for HR. Now, there's a lot going there. And I, I also am very keen and understanding the connotations, even with that, the acronym that's, that's there, but primarily my job is to look at policy and procedure and initiatives that help expand opportunity. So I'll give you an example from the HR world, which is something I'm very heavy in. There's always this talk about, hey, we're gonna hire for diversity and all these different things. My job is to really hone that down and define what it actually means. And for us, the state, all that means is that we look at preferences, we look at how we hire, and we cast our net wider. That's what it comes down to. And so when we cast our net wider, we look at, uh, for example, we talk about the governor's initiative for having uh, skills based hiring. In other words, we look at applications and we find the skills that are in there and apply those as opposed to, hey, Wes has a, a master's degree, so that's all that counts. No, we look at that history, we look at the skills that this job actually needs, and we find those in individuals. And we cast that net while still holding a very heavy mayor based system, while still holding a very heavy, you know, best qualified system, no compromisation on any of those aspects as per our, our direction, but it's making sure that all Utahs. Uh, have an expanded opportunity, which means that sometimes we change how we look. And so there's one of the many initiatives I look at for shipping and hiring, but it's all about expanding opportunity and helping those uh, that may have barriers and internally. I,
1: I love so many of those words, expanding opportunity, accelerator, like those are all very positive things. You're talking equity and diversity. Let's talk for a second. You and I spoke offline, but it wasn't shared in this portion of the recording, Give us your diversity background. Talk a little bit about your mom, the fact that it was you and your grandpa that went to Vernal and not you and your mom, and then maybe some of that ethnic mix in your beautiful blended family.
2: No, thank you so much. So my mom, blonde hair, blue eyes, San Diego, California, where she's born and raised. My dad is from Pomoa in Samoa. It's a little island or a little village in in Kulu, Samoa. And so I can sum up the first time I knew that I was different in a positive way. Uh, I'm riding on a bus. I remember the bus number, number 56, out here in Berlin, Utah. I'm riding on this bus, and a friend of mine was just asking me, that's probably eight, nine. He's like, hey, Wes, what are you? I was like, what do you mean? He's like, well, are you Chinese? He's like, no. Are you Mexican? I said, no. And he lists this entire – I mean, he's pretty good at geography. I couldn't do that. But that he didn't know
1: Samoa. <laughs>
2: exactly, right? <laughs> he lists all those things. And what was interesting, I didn't know that I was from an, uh, Samoa at the time. Uh, actually, I didn't even beat my father until I was in my twenties. Interesting. And so I didn't know how to so answer that. So you couldn't that. answer well, him. I couldn't answer it. What are you? And I coming home, and that's the day I found out that you know what Samoa really was. Uh, when I asked my grandfather, that he asked me this question. I didn't know how to answer it. Now, a couple of that. So then I kind of paid attention a little bit. That it was a little bit different, but this community is so great, accepted. You know, part of it, absolutely love it. Fast forward on some of the jobs I've had in the military. Uh, I was a liaison officer and I was sent over to Oman to help train some individuals with some artillery planning. And here's me on the plane going, okay, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to teach them this. They probably need this. I'm going to make sure that I take my experience as a United States officer. United States, you know, I, we, I'm a little, I'm obviously biased and we do things really well. I'm going to help them be better. Not once, not once did I say, I wonder what I can learn from them. Not once did I even oh. take a minute to, and integrate them into my plan, yeah. the how I'm to teach them. And I remember getting to this, uh it's, it's a really nice institution, me and a couple other individuals. And uh, I get up there and I start saying, okay, here's what you're going to do. All this kind of different things. And they're very nice. Sure. I'm working through an interpreter. And then during the break, the interpreter came over and uh, I said, hey, I, I'm, also, I'm not getting a lot of feedback. I'm not getting a lot of um, uh, participation from the group. You know, what's going on? What's wrong with them, right? I didn't say like that. But that's sure, but you're kind of like, why not? Yeah. It was like, get your peeps in order, right? Right. Well, what I found out real quick was how I was, the, the mannerisms in which I was dressing up, which would be uh, fairly normal for a normal uh, uh, briefing on state side with military, was not working inside that culture. Hmm. And I actually created, uh, it, it inadvertently, I didn't create the mental and psychological safety for individuals to contribute to the plan. And in not so many words, that's exactly what the uh, interpreter told me. And I was so humble, humiliated. I felt um, sad that I would even do that. You know, that's not that that goes against my values as as a human being. So I thought and it started to, to trail off and I spent I only had five days there. I had to spend the next day and a half building that relationship, repairing that relationship to get us ready for, for the operation. OK, talk it's
1: about a-, a life lesson, though.
2: Yeah. And, and, I... it stuck to me. Yeah, I think about it almost every day.
1: So much of when I hear things, my, my world is full of raising children, right? That's my primary worry and concern and time sucker. So when I hear you with this, I think of myself as a parent. How often do I go to the kids or the family as the parent with the idea in mind that I have this figured out? Here's what you're going to do because I know and I've got this and you're just going to you know fall in line. When in reality, how much better could the overall dynamic be when the conversation is more hey, kids, what do you think? Or, hey, soldiers, what do you think? Or staff, give me your input. Or what ideas have you had from your department or or your perspective? How much more um, value is added when even though we have expertise, we recognize we don't have it all?
2: Absolutely. And go back to the policy procedures, especially sure. in the state government, and that intent and impact, right? Too often we say, okay, here's what this community needs. When we really didn't go ask them. <laughs> we would really didn't go into this community and say, hey, what do you think? What do you need? My intent is great. My intent is, to the, is there to help everyone expand that opportunity. You just missed and one better. little step. Yeah. One little step where it's like, hey, hey, what do you think? What do you need? Like, we're all about that. When we talk about diversity, for me, it's really that perspective, right? The different uh, angles to look at things. How do I bring that in? Um, but we teach a lot about diversity. We say, "Hey, come here, do all these different things," and we forget that we have to actually include people in our decision-making process. Yeah. and that's one thing that and I've cast the wider well. net. And that's how I kind of fell in this role. It was an opportunity. I worked in HR, worked in higher education for about ten years, uh, where I worked with students, both um, um, you know minority students here in rural Utah, were next to the tribe, the U tribe. So I was able to work oh, with awesome. that community and, and different things, and it really just so started even to-
1: diversity within your own diversity.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And it was just, it's just been fantastic. And it really, I, I saw an opportunity there for me to take some of the lessons that I learned and to learn from other people. I love talking to people. I love talking to different uh, different groups, learning about them. And if we can duplicate some of those lessons that I've learned at the state, which we're doing a really good job with some of the wonderful cabinet members that we have, some wonderful directors, and of course, uh, the LG and governor, we're seeing some changes in integration of the community to make Utah us, right? Make yeah. all of Utah us. Uh, and we're going to get
1: to that. Oh, I love it. How beautiful it is when we all come together and bring what we bring and, and appreciate what others bring. Okay, because you and a couple other guests that we're going to be airing are part of a wonderful organization called Dreams in Motion. So I want you to just take like, give us the 60 second teaser on that. And then we are going to have kind of a group roundtable recording with all of you. One day to to get more into the meat of what you're doing, but tell us a little bit what Dreams in Motion is and how you came to be involved with it.
2: Oh, thank you. So Dreams in Motion is a nonprofit designed to help uh, individuals that with their resilience, and we focus a lot with uh, we focus on veterans, we focus on individuals that's had uh, large medical issues, to include transplants, uh, people who have had cancer, different things of that nature. We realize, like I said before. Self-care is important, but sometimes you need to be able to help other people in their resilience, um, and it is a, a symbiotic type of, of uh, a relationship, and so what we do is we help provide uh, opportunities for engagement with families in the sports area, and so we're able to get tickets with Utah Jazz, and we give them a, a night at a hotel, and they go sit in the President's Box, at BYU, they go there and enjoy, and they create like I said, taking a knee, they create that opportunity where they can take a knee with their family and do that stuff there by connecting with mm, them and, and a beautiful. unique set away from some of the challenges that they've been facing to take that, that break. And we've been, uh, I was asked, you know, for, uh, I know Joe Brown, which you'll talk to Bruce Tippett, the founding members, they gave me a call right away and say, Hey, Wes, what do you think about this? He's like, I'm in, let's do this. And, uh, I've been with them since the genesis of, uh, the nonprofit. So very excited
1: Okay, so this is exciting. So to our listeners, stay tuned. Captain Porter, we are so excited that you shared this with us. Where can we learn more about Dreams in Motion? I imagine there's a website, a Facebook page, maybe all of the above.
2: Absolutely, It's a Facebook page is what uh, Bruce put together for us. and there, you'll see some of our past recipients of the Dreams in Motion where they go to the to the game and we take pictures and, and we deliver the text to them it's, it's always a surprise right uh we do homework with the board say hey who needs it and then we nominate individuals so you can find us on facebook at dreams in motion uh you'll see us there
1: okay this is great so and then we're excited to have you come back with joel with bruce with the whole gang And tell us a little bit more about what Dreams in Motion is and does and how our listeners can maybe get involved. Maybe they know someone who could be a benefactor or maybe they might want to be one of the helpers. So this has been fabulous. Thank you for sharing your great energy with us. I hope someday you're like the high school assembly teacher for my kids because I love everything you say. I love how you're able to incorporate your experience in military, in government, in in education, in family life, in adversity, in good times and bad times and come out of it on top and come out of it recognizing that sometimes the best way to push forward is to pause for a second and take a knee. So thank you for sharing all of this with us today. And thanks to our listeners for tuning in. We hope you like what you've heard, and we hope you'll keep listening with us. Find us whatever podcast platform you use. Don't just find us and listen. Find us and like it. Give us a rating and a review. Help us know how we can improve the show. And especially, maybe consider joining the show yourself. If you're listening and you have a story that you're willing to share about how you've learned what resilience is and some tools and tips along the way, you can contact us either on Facebook at Relentlessly Resilient or Instagram, Relentlessly Resilient Podcast. Just send us a DM or email us at rrpodcast at ksl.com.
0: Remember, whatever you do today, remember to be kind. You have no idea the struggles others are dealing with in their lives. Have a great day.